this shoe. Um, it arrived in a jiffy bag in 2010 with a letter. And at the time, I was trying to start a novel. And it was a novel I'd been trying to write for a very long time, in fact, for 30 years, which was inspired by a completely different family story from anything I'm going to tell you tonight. Um, that novel became The Kindness. Um, but I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about this, the story of this shoe and how it unlocked the other story that I was trying to tell. Um, to talk about this, I need to start in 1938 with the arrival in England of my parents. Um, my father as a 10-year-old from Germany on the Kindertransport and my mother, who is half Chinese and half English, on a slow boat from China who was six and was fleeing the Japanese. So there we have um, my grandfather, who my husband says doesn't look like a Jewish lawyer, but like a mafioso. Um, but he's there in 1938 in Hamburg with his four children. Um, my father is the littlest boy, Lance. And already by this point, um, many members of their family had committed what is called rational suicide. Um, they hadn't been observant Jews for many generations, but um, both of my, um, my father's maternal grandparents had killed themselves, as well as many uncles um, and aunts. Um, but my grandfather was an, I don't know what the word would be, an optimist, or was in some sort of denial, whatever it was, he refused to flee. Um, he was a lawyer fighting for Jewish rights. He'd set up a cultural center for Jewish people to meet, and it caused a huge amount of stress in the marriage between him and my grandmother. And this is a photograph taken about three weeks later, and it's of the younger three children at their father's funeral. Uh, my grandmother had already got the oldest boy out to Holland by this point. My grandfather um, had been staying in Hamburg um, while the rest of the family had gone to Silt. It was a boiling hot day. He arrived full of stress, smoking cigars, to find his children swimming in the sea, was persuaded to plunge in after them, and had a massive heart attack. Um, and while his children tried to hold him up, he drowned in their arms. And in a way, it was his drowning that saved their lives because um, they then went through Kristallnacht. Um, and the thing that always struck me about that was when I asked my father about it, he said, well, it was fine because our mother didn't want us to be frightened. So when we came up from the cellar, she pointed at all the glass on the pavement and said, look how it sparkles like diamonds. And then she put them on the kinder transport. In the same year, 1938, my mother, Esther Jo Ying, also arrived in England. She was six. She was, had her younger brother and sister in tow, and she arrived on the docks to a thorny welcome. She was the eldest daughter of a wealthy Mandarin father, and the story that always sticks in my mind was she was so spoiled that as a small child, um, instead of dolls, she was bought twin babies from a peasant in the marketplace um, because every wish of hers was indulged. Um, and so it was a shock to her um, when she came to England. Um, they were fleeing the Japanese. Um, my 
grandfather had met my grandmother when he was studying at LSE and she was a Cockney chambermaid who he'd fallen for. But seven years later, the Japanese invaded and the children and their mother were sent back to England. And they arrived to my grandmother's family who were not thrilled and were quite racist, wouldn't help. Um, and my grandmother had no choice but to put her chinky brats into um, Dr. Bernardo's home. And this is the photograph of my very shocked mother taken at Dr. Bernardo's when she'd first been dropped off. She had an awful childhood. She was fostered to a number of homes where you know, she never fitted in. Um, terrible, terrible poverty and abuse. Um, and at 16, she married Don, who was an American Chinese war hero, um, who, um, it was a wedding in the Chinese embassy. There she is, 16 years old. And with him, she went to Hong Kong. Um, they had very different politics. Um, he was happy to stay in Hong Kong. She had other ideas. Uh, she met, in Hong Kong, she met some Spanish communist students and they managed to smuggle her onto a boat and probably with the wish to find her father uppermost in her mind, she arrived at Tianjin Docks and said, I'm here to join your revolution. They didn't know what to do with her. Um, first of all, she had to become um, literate in Chinese, which she did very quickly. Um, and then they, they put her in the Red Army um, where she rose to the rank of major. Um, and the first I knew of any of this was when she wrote a memoir, which was published when I was 18, so I read it at the same time as everyone else did. And that's the memoir. Um, and that's a close-up of the picture. I was always sort of, I'd always come across this photo, I couldn't understand why there was a photograph of my mother in a great big padded coat with a gun in her belt. Um, it's a bit frightening. Um, but the only thing that she ever shot with that gun was her pet dog during the um, roundup of dogs as one of the campaigns in China. She couldn't bear for her dog to be taken away from her, and so she shot it. Um, she stayed in the Red Army for 10 years. Um, she became an announcer on Radio Peking um, and an in interpreter for foreign journalists and dignitaries. In 1954, she went to North Korea. And there she met a journalist called Alan Winnington. Um, he was one of two journalists, the other was um, Wilfred Burchett, who were behind Chinese lines. He was 21 years her senior, um, and though she'd gone to China to find her father, what she found in him was a father figure. Um, they got married, they had two sons, um, and sadly she never did find her father because Shortly after she arrived in China, he was arrested for um, uh, some sort of idea of uh, promotion of American views, because I think he had lots of money in Seattle, and he was sent off for hard labor. Um, as you can see in this picture, she was not always an incredibly hardline communist. She got into lots of trouble. Um, she really liked Bill Haley's Rock Around the Clock. That was not um, welcome. Um, and she and Alan started to fall foul of Mao. And um, I think that the sort of turning point for them was when my brothers came home from the perfumed garden nursery calling their parents imperialist pigs. Um, and so they decided that they had to come back to England. 
But they'd been, by this point, they'd been in China for 10 years. And when Alan applied for his passport to be renewed, he was turned down on the grounds that he'd been propagating um, anti-American propaganda. And actually worse, he was accused of torturing prisoners of war. Um, so here they are um, shortly before they left China. They couldn't come to England, so they went to Moscow. And via Moscow, the Soviets housed them in East Berlin in, in some splendor. Um, Alan settled down to a lovely life, writing Cold War thrillers and being a bit of a hero to the Communist Party, sort of constantly surrounded by young and adoring communists. Um, lilac tree flowered in the garden. Uh, my mother was having a much worse time and she wandered the streets desperately worried about my younger brother, um, who you can see in her arms, who was terribly disturbed at having been wrenched from one culture to another. Um, but the British wouldn't budge on his passport. And at this point, en enter my father, Lance Sampson. There he is, he's the one who wants to send the Yanks home. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he had a very nice time when he came to England. There was a large family, he was, they embraced him. He had a good education. He went to the LSE, actually coincidentally, the same as my mother's father, and became a communist journalist. He, he worked, first of all, in Prague, where he very briefly married um, a Czechoslovak woman. Um, he used to go on Saturdays and speak at Speaker's Corner. Um, for me, that was like having a rock star for a father. It was incredible to see this thing going on. Um, but the British Communist Party were up in arms about Alan's situation. Um, they both worked for the same newspaper. And, Alan, and Lance, my father, was elected to clear Alan's name. Um, questions were asked in the House, accusations of tre treason flew around, and in the end, Lance flew to Berlin to meet with Alan, um, and they decided between them that the best course of action would be for my mother to go back with Lance to England and to plead for Alan's passport at the, at the Foreign Office. And now we move to this photograph. Um, somewhere between the Foreign Office and my mother's return to East Berlin, um, this photograph was taken. It is the morning after the night before. Um, it is, um, I know this because when I got married, uh, my parents gave to my husband this photograph and on the back in my father's writing was the white swan lavanum. This is where Polly began. <laughs> it's an unusual wedding present. <laughs> Little cytoblast there. Um, I will get to the shoe. <laughs> um, and so began three or four years of toing and froing between East Berlin and London, between these two rather marvellous men. And talking of this still makes my mum wretched with tears. Um, Alan refused to let my brothers go. Um, he immediately established a bond with me. I was the daughter he'd always longed for. He was a good communist. He didn't really care about genetics. Um, being a terribly bourgeois thing to care about. Um, and I went along with it and called him Daddy. Um, so here we all are in East Berlin, lovely, happy family. 
Um, so we would do a few months in East Berlin, and then my mother would go back to England, and we would then be in a communal house in Crouch End, which was really quite, a, you know, it was not as splendid as our East Berlin quarters, um, which is unusual, I think, to live better in the East than the West at that time, but in our case, that was true. Um, the stress of this situation, here I am, about the same age with, with Lance, with my father. The stress of this situation um, led to um, my father becoming very ill. And he was taken in for emergency surgery and given a 50% chance of living. And my mother arrived from East Berlin just in time to see him wheeled through. And she said, if you live, I'll never leave you again. And as she tells it, and bloody hell he lived. <laughs> um, he was the love of her life, actually. Um, occasionally, there would be presents for me that would arrive from East Berlin. Incredibly splendid things, a stuffed red fox, a sort of mustard-colored crimpline dress with a matching jacket, all sorts of things that us, within our straitened circumstances, could never have afforded. Other toys, lavish things, but they always got chewed by the dog while I was at school. Um, and then in 1970, my parents gave up communism and um, moved to Cornwall, where my father became the editor of the local newspaper, which I, I still can't get my head around that. Um, it seems, you know, in a true blue area, how they had this communist journalist as their editor, I'll never know. But even more surprisingly, my mother became the headmistress of a village school. And that leopard skin dress that we saw um, when I was 15, I, with some delight, I found this leopard skin dress and I wore it to a sort of rugby club or a school disco and snogathon. And um, came home, thought, oh, that's it, I, that's the answer, this dress. So I took it off. And then the next time there was a youth club disco, couldn't find it. And the next time I saw it was she'd put on a sort of jungle book crossed with the Christmas story. I mean, it's typical of her. And all the little boys came out in little leopard skin loincloths. I knew then what had happened to the dress. I'm scarred by this. Um, Alan eventually remarried, um, and he was given back his passport and a full apology, but he never again lived in the West. He stayed in East Berlin, and he died in 1987, spared the fall of the wall. Um, and so, how am I doing for time? Two minutes. Oh, I'm perfect. Um, so back to the shoe with two minutes to go. Um, in 2010, in 2010, my brother went to Berlin and visited Alan's widow. Um, and as he was leaving, she rushed back into the apartment and came out with this shoe and said to him, this was your sister's. I think you should return it to her. And she told him that Alan had kept it beside him at all times. And as I read the letter and held this shoe in my hand, I found what I needed to write my book. It's called Ta -da! The Kindness. <laughs> Thank you.